Welcome back to episode 118 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here in Chess Journeys, we love to explore the glories of ratings gain, but let's be real, it's often the plateaus and perhaps even the pits of despair. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys, and I want to thank the Queen Level supporters, Scott D4B6, Joe, Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Donna Ridge Burgess, Brandon Hallside, David Shriver, Lindsay Newhall, Jeff Peterson, Tobias Rex, Bob Berger, Nicholas Harrigan, Rich Fenner, Fletcher Ray, Nathan Peterson, Christian Glaw, and King Level supporter Ian Samples. I have been streaming a little bit here and there. I've been doing some Karpov games, having some fun with that. And if you're interested in Noel Studer's Next Level Training Program, you can use the code in the show notes below. It supports the show. You get a training program. Everybody wins. But today, I want to bring on a return guest. Uh, she is a dedicated adult improver. She's a member of Team Slay and the Chess Punks. She's a winner of a prestigious Game of the Year award from the Chess Punks and most recently completed her goal of playing rated chess in all 50 states in the United States. So, Megan, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Have you had any chance to play any chess yet today? Thank you so much, Kevin, for um, bringing me back onto the show. Um, so today, as far as like uh, my own chess goes, I have not played any chess uh, yet today. That is because uh, I just recently uh, finished an over-the-board tournament in Chicago uh, this weekend. So today's kind of just more of a recharge or batteries kind of day. Plus, I also uh, had, I had to be at work anyway, since it's the usual Monday routine. But I'm not too upset about that. I guess like um, my coach recently re reiterated to me that I just need to have that kind of a break day every so often. Mm, break day. I don't know. I've never heard of this. What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> so uh, the interesting is, so the thing that um, my coach recently shared with me uh, uh, last night after my tournament was this, uh, this article that I also recently reposted on Twitter. It's an article that was written by um, next level chess and actually uh grandmaster noel studer wrote this article and uh the title of it was boost your chess performance the unexpected power of breaks and rest mm -hmm. and um there actually was an interesting tip in there that says something about the uh wisdom of taking um uh, taking breaks as needed and one of the tips that was included in that article did involve taking like a a weekly one the one day per week kind of uh, break day from studying or training chess and um, it also recommended uh, picking a picking a day of the week that you would like stick to as a routine each week as much as like you possibly can. Yeah, I, I talked to Noel quite a bit about that. He I've yet to be convinced by him, you know, because mm -hmm. what am I going to listen to a grandmaster? They don't know anything. Um, but yeah, he does have yeah, a pretty I don't blame you. Plus, form. like, also, um, I don't know how well it would work for me personally, because I've never um, tried something like that before. Mm. So how has it worked but for you or this your first break day? Um, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, there's still a few uh, hours of the day uh, of the day on it, so it's possible that I might end up cheating and breaking my uh, my break promise. But who knows? Um, I'll try my best to honor it, though. Okay. 
I think it's and then really... after um the day happens, I guess I'll probably reassess how things go and see. <laughs> yeah. And and I do think it's important that he notes specifically that you should have a plan break and then plan what you're gonna do after the break. So there's no temptation to be like, I took a one day break that turned into an eight month break, right? Like he's very mm -hmm. clear that this should just be a one day break. Right. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think we should start with your big accomplishment. And uh, I want to start with what? Why did you decide to play in all 50 states? This seems like madness to me. Uh, what compelled you to even want to take this on? Yeah, so um, I started playing my first out-of-state tournament in um, Wisconsin back in uh, the spring of 2016. Uh, back then, there wasn't quite much fire or motivation yet because Wisconsin is just, you know, one state up to the north of Illinois. So it just happens to um, be my first non-Illinois state for chess because my uh, chess coach, Ryan Murphy, lives in Wisconsin. So um, that was that was a trip to uh, to just, you know, have an excuse to uh, check out his home state for the first time. And then I think... Um, a couple months late a couple months later in 2016 uh i made i i made friends uh, i made friends with um someone on facebook that i met from a uh, chess book collectors group and uh he lived in virginia and um i and he motivated me to uh visit virginia for the first time to play in a long time control otb tournament that was like three days long that was the uh 2016 northern virginia open and so um after that uh well that was like my first um out-of-state event that occurred in not a neighboring state and then um I, over the course of like, I think the first half of 2017, I had like my first experiences traveling to other, um, other states that were like, you know, not, uh, the, not, not Illinois' neighbors, like for example, Michigan, I, uh, remembered playing, um, the great, I think the tournament was called the Great Lakes Open back in the spring of 2017. And after having like knocked out, a the, the first couple of states uh the, the first couple of states i was just like well might as well have uh, have an occasional trip outside of illinois to uh compete in otb tournaments so i was that definitely opened me to the idea of traveling for over the board events but at that time the spark and fire of um trying to complete all 50 of the states was not quite there yet um but however uh what um motivated me even further to travel more was uh in I guess in 2020 when um COVID made uh over the board tournaments even more scarce than usual. And I remember that there was a time in late 2020 and the first half of 2021 that there were no over the board tournaments at all in Illinois because of COVID. Yeah. So I had to look out of state to see if there were any over the board tournaments because at that time I was getting super uh down with my mental health because of my lack of chess over the board chess play and so I um ended up uh researching the U.S. chess pages on upcoming tournaments and um that was where I was able to also like knock out um a few more states like for example Texas in the process 
And then after, uh, you know, a couple of years of having um, done over the board tournaments and some that were like uh, some that happened to be out of state, I um, felt even more determined to want to like, you know, just finish that out because I've played in quite a handful of uh, out of state, um, the, the out of state OTB events and felt just even more determined to want to like finish the rest. All right. It sounds like there's a lot there. So it sounds like the first couple ones, it was like friends saying, hey, come, visit, come check out this stuff. tournament. Did that continue yeah. throughout the process? Was there a lot of opportunities to like meet people in person that you'd met online? Or did you mostly go and just to like random events? Yeah, there were quite a few. Um, uh, there were quite a few, th a few, a few events that uh, came from like friend, uh, friend visit inspirations. Okay. And and did any of those then like blossom into into friendships? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were even some states in which like I've uh made uh, made some close friends with uh throughout the process of this journey and um have kept kept in touch with them ever since. Oh, that's cool. Um, where'd you play in California? What event was it? Because I don't think I was at that event with you. Oh, actually, wait a second. Um. Were you at the Pacific Coast Open in um 2022? That was in July 2022. And I remember I did that tournament in the under 2100 section. Uh the right before the US Open in New Jersey back then. So I remember that was like a um opposite coast of the country, uh back to back over the board grind for me. That's right. Yeah. And so what happened is. I didn't play in the one in my backyard because I flew out to the world open instead. And we met there. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. But I know that we met at the world open and yeah. I know it was world open 2022. And I yep. know that the world open takes place in early July, but the Pacific yeah. coast open that year in 20 in July, 2022, it took place in late July, like mm. right before um, the, U uh, the, the U S open began. Yeah, I don't think I played in that one because I generally it's hard with my family to play in like multiple big tournaments in the same month. I usually have oh, to kind of like okay, pick, I see. Pick but one I actually court. went to California. Um, actually, one, two, three other times for chess. Actually, uh, the oh, first wow. time that I went to California for chess was actually the um twenty sixteen U.S. Class Championships that was held in the Bay Area in okay. november of 2016 and i got motivated to go there just because like the u.s class is like a big name event so mm -hmm. um that was like one of my uh first big big name events that i wanted to try back then and then um another uh tournament that i did was actually um actually it was before um the pacific coast open in 2022 i went to san diego actually in uh, January of 2022 to play the Dreaming King Open. And the occasion for that event was to visit um, a friend who lived in the area back then. Okay. Uh, and then also, um, most recently, I went to, um, I went to Sunnyvale. Uh, so that's also in the Bay Area um, for a FIDE rated event who uh, that featured a tournament section that was only open to 1800 USDF and higher. And that wow. was back in September of this year. I am just so in awe of how much you travel for chess. I have to ask you this question. Do you set aside like a big part of your income and you're like, 
This is the chess travel fund. You have like a separate account for it and everything. How does that work? That is an interesting question. Um, actually, I do not do that. And uh, I guess like more or less, I can just say, I'm just very thankful that like throughout uh, the years that I've been working on my chess, I've had the um, blessing of being paid very well by uh, all the uh, by all the, uh, the uh, software engineering and database engineering jobs that I've worked over the course of uh, the years since um, late 2015. Okay, so because you're so good at your job, that's how you can afford to do this. You're good at everything. Okay, I mean, I've had a couple great. of nice raises from um, Active Campaign, the company that I'm currently working at right now. Okay. Nice. So that definitely helped. Have you thought at all about did you, or did you do any like GoFundMe's or anything for any of your trips? Um, actually, I did not need to, and I was still totally fine. Okay, that's cool. Okay, so it sounds like you made a lot of friends. You got to meet a lot of friends. There was like a big social aspect of it, which makes it fun. Um, you mentioned it was good for your mental health. What did what did you mean by that? Well, actually, that uh, when I was referring to mental health, I was more specifically uh, referring to the time in um, late 2020 and early 2021 when uh, OTB tournaments were scarce because of COVID. And there was just overall lots of social isolation because of um, very few opportunities and like very few opportunities for like in-person events. So do you Not just in of... chess, but like just in general. Yeah. So do you use chess as like one of your ways to sort of get together with people on a social level? Like when you show up to tournaments, um, are yes, you thinking I like- Yes, I would definitely say so. And it's definitely um, my, uh, as like many people might've figured, uh, my primary uh, recreational activity outside of work. Okay. So when and you so show up to a tournament- when it is like my primary- recreational activity i guess like that also means that like the more i'm attending chess events the more um it, it would not be surprising that the majority of people that i meet are um from chess yeah so it sounds like when you go to an event you have two goals to slay everyone but then also yes. to meet people and hang out with them yeah okay all right so if someone is paired up with you and they sit down across from you should they talk to you before the game or are you like no man it's all business before the game so usually i'm uh, usually mo uh, sometimes i would have a little bit of banter but usually it's more if the other person starts it but okay. if the other person doesn't start any banter or doesn't say anything even if they are my friend or even if they arrive at the board late i usually just don't i usually just don't say a word i mean um, there are times that there are times and there are moments in which like, you know, you're supposed to be nice to your friends. You're supposed to, um, <laughs> you know, enjoy quality time with them. But yeah. I don't think the 64 squares are the um, place to do it, especially in an OTB tournament. Okay. So you're looking to crush your foes and then maybe between rounds, uh, have a chat with them. After oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so in this grand experience of yours, did you have any favorite tournaments that you remember that like really pop out to you that you're like ah yes that that was a big one it's really hard to say because like there's a lot of reasons that uh various um tournaments have been highlights of my journey uh but i'll definitely name name a couple and i might be missing a few just because like there are so many states and so many tournaments but mm -hmm. they de but they definitely have their own unique and specific uh reasons for being memorable uh, not just for um, my chess performance, but also for um, experiences. 
So uh, one state that I would say uh, was memorable was Montana because I met um, uh, one of my best friends there and we've been really tight ever since um, er ever since I met her at that tournament. Um, another state that's notable is definitely New York because I got to check out the Marshall Chess Club for um, the very first time. And um, it's definitely a state that I would see myself uh, coming back to just because the Marshall just looks like such a fancy place to um, play chess. Plus also Jay Bonin is back to OTB action. So um, that means the Iron Man has returned. And so that also means that, the, uh, that it gives an excuse for the Iron Lady to come back to New York. Uh -huh. um and there's also california just because like um that was that's the state that you're from so um <laughs> definitely cannot and it cannot leave that out let's see okay um let's see what else i would also probably add um tennessee there because another one of my best friends uh who is who by the way is a very w w renowned um twitch streamer uh currently lives there hmm. okay so it sounds like a lot of your favorite tournaments are not like I didn't hear anything like I went four and one at this event. It's all like the people you encountered, um, how the event was. Did results ever factor into whether you liked the tournament or not? Or are you able to sort of separate results and the experience? Um, I would say that like I'm able to separate uh results and experience for sure. Like for example, um, if we're just judging um tournament results alone. Uh, then, like, I would say that, like, um, I don't know, it's kind of hard because, like, well, if, we, if we're just judging tournament results uh, alone, it would feel a little bit um, weird to call certain states or certain tournaments my favorite because some of them were um, simply just not well organized in mm. um, certain aspects. Like, for example, I mentioned that like Montana was one of my favorite states because that's where I met um one of my absolute best friends from. But I can't say that um it is my favorite place to play chess because one thing I absolutely hated about that tournament and um uh, also unfortunately, sorry Montana folks, if you're listening to this, um please don't get mad at me for saying this, but one thing I absolutely hated about noticing from Montana's calendar of chess events is that why do they have to put a thing Sunday morning round at 8:30 in the morning? Ooh, that's 8 30 in the morning. Like that is uh -uh. early. That's that that just sounds like misery. Like, yes, I understand that um people need to drive that some people may need to drive long distances in order to get home on Sunday evening, the night before uh their next work week as, uh, resumes. But hey, other states um were able to pull off something reasonable by having Sunday morning rounds start at like say 9 a.m. or 9 30 a.m. or even better, 10 a.m. Yeah, and it feels like 10 is the norm. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. wow, that's early. Okay, so that was an issue. Any other tournaments? You don't have to name by name, but were there any debacles where you were like, oh my goodness, that one did not work out? Um, Let's see. Oh, there was also a tournament in Wyoming that I played that also had a Saturday morning round starts at um 8 a.m. actually, not 8.30 a.m., 8 a.m. And what's also really weird about it is that it was a two-day tournament. So the first thought that you may have when you think of a two-day weekend chess tournament in the United States is that the rounds would be like, you know, three on Saturday, two on Sunday, or in the case of a four-round event, two on Saturday, 
um, and two on Sunday. But the crazy thing about that tournament was that that was not the case. That tournament was two days long, but the first round was uh, uh, on a Friday night, and then they squeezed the remaining three rounds all on Saturday, which is a really odd oh, combination. Wow. Yeah. That is odd. Huh. Okay. Well, <laughs> I haven't heard of that before. Um, what do you think about this journey? Let, let's start with this question. Did you learn anything about yourself from this journey? Let's see. What, how long did it take you? Like seven years to play a tournament in all 50 states? Any big yeah. takeaways about yourself? Um, I think that like one of the things that uh this journey has really opened my um awareness about is my general sense of independence and and adventure. Mm -hmm. So um, it actually definitely affirmed to me that I'm more uh, adventurous than I thought that I would be because as a kid I've always been a homebody unfortunately and a huge part of that was um, mostly due to uh, the way that my parents um, raised me uh, due to like having to you know focus on academics focus on like improving and getting ready for your career and all that sort of stuff and that lets me like staying home a lot and not being able to like go out anywhere and plus my family just never really like uh traveled uh, traveled really at all so um that basically deprived me of uh the chances to be able to experience other parts of the world outside of um my hometown and where I lived and all that stuff um and another thing that I thought was also pretty eye-opening was um my sense of independence so I was pretty impressed by like how easily how easily I was able to like figure out things in um new cities or new states that I was not very familiar with too. Like for example, in some states, if there was public transit available, I was able to figure out public transit without feeling like I would have a panic attack or needing to ask strangers for help all that much. Or um thinking I need a friend to um accompany me as my transit buddy because I'm just scared and nervous of being able to of having to ride the transit all by myself. And honestly, I will have to say that like, you know, for any you know, for any women out there who are feeling kind of um not so sure about uh the idea that you can do this you just have to like um use your common sense when it comes to like you know being safe in a new city or riding public transit or whatnot very nice um when you came to la were you impressed with our public transit oh i actually did not take the public transit there <laughs> well there really isn't public transit there is <laughs> but it's a very much a hodgepodge system that's not well interconnected really how so I don't know. It's, like, it's such a sprawling city that we just haven't gotten it together yet where there's like a reasonable public transit system. It's it's very sad. It's something that constantly comes up. Um, how about your chess? Was this experience good for your chess? Bad for your chess? What is your takeaway there? Um, so I'm not really sure if I would say that like uh just the traveling experience uh itself improved my chess, but I would say that like um I mean, I've had, I've definitely had times in which like I've had some, fortunately they were just very temporary and short-lived huge rating drops that happened from um, tournaments in which like they just happened because like I needed to seize that opportunity to play in like this uh, super rare for chess kind of state. And so I wasn't really in the best mentality or the best form in some of those, in some of those cases. And there were also some states in which uh, the rating distribution of the players was very skewed down because they have 
very, very few opportunities to play over the board events in general. And so they have underrated ratings as a result. But um, I mean, I would say that like, uh, despite those uh, sacrifices, I think that like it, the whole thing, it was still very, very worth it because, um, you know, you don't really get that uh, the level of energy or income or um, health quality to be able to um, go around there, <laughs> go around everywhere to so many different places. Uh, so got to um, cherish the privilege of being able to have it before. I don't know what may happen in a few years if life gets in the way or what or whatnot. OK. And I also like... imagine like it may be harder for me to travel um that frequently or as much if I uh get older, like say um in my forties or fifties, just because like you know when you're at that age, you probably just won't have the um physical or mental capacity to do as many things compared to like when you're in your twenties. Yeah, I w- I will say it sounds daunting to me to fly off to <laughs> another state well, you're, you're, every you're month probably or so. Kind of biased too because I know that you're uh, that you're a father and you're taking care of kids and so yeah yeah that's a big thing yeah that is a thing um okay so it sounds like overall it was good for your chest because you got to play so much but then there were times where it would be like I might have passed on that event to either rest or because I wasn't in my best form but but you felt some pressure to play in certain events yeah, there were some events in, uh, that occurred in states where, like, um, over-the-board events just happens, like, once in a blue moon. Um, like, for example, Alaska and Hawaii and Wyoming and um, North Dakota and Rhode Island, um, just to name a few. So um, those were uh, those were some examples of um, situations in which it was just, like, these OTP events got to pounce on the opportunity before, like, there, who knows when there will be another opportunity again. All right, I've got to ask about Alaska. What what happened there? How did you make the Alaska thing happen? What what kind of event did you play? Um, so the Alaska thing um happened as a really relieving surprise because like for um a while before he- first hearing about the event, many people have been wondering. So how long is Alaska gonna remain OTB less? And um, fortunately, uh, a young high school girl from Fairbanks, Alaska, decided to make the first over-the-board USCF-rated event in Alaska ever since COVID happened on uh, National Chess Day this year, earlier this month. So um, the girl's name is uh, Evelyn Mills. She's the president of the um, Fairbanks Chess Club. And um, she decided to organize uh, Fairbanks Chess Club's very first US. USCF rated event, and uh, that was the Fairbanks National Chess Day event. Uh, it happens to be a six round uh, game, tw- a game fifteen delay five tournament. So the tournament was um, it was only USCF uh, rapid rated, not um, classical rated or dual rated, but it was still pretty fun. And um, I uh, heard about it through Facebook initially, but um, also not not long after I personally heard about it, a friend of mine. From, uh, from Illinois also heard about it and uh, asked me if I was planning to go there. And I said, yes, absolutely. And um, so uh, he and I initially made um, travel plans to uh, go to Alaska together and take part in the tournament together. And then a second friend um, who, by the way, is on Chesspunk's Twitter, that's Mike Labracco. Do you know him? He's a uh, magical mates on Twitter. I see you reference him all the time, but I don't know him yet. But yeah, um, he's Magical Mates on Twitter if you want to give him a follow. 
Okay. But yeah, um, he also tagged along with um, me and that other friend. And so uh, we ended up going um, as a three-person group. That's so cool. First of all, yeah. I cannot imagine flying to Alaska for a rapid event. But that's so cool <laughs> yeah, that you're able. I know, to, but like, yeah. um, the thing is that like, uh, we uh, didn't go there just for the event, at least not for um mm. me. Uh, I, uh, uh, Mike and I ended up booking some extra time during the trip to be able to um, you know, explore some things in Fairbanks, including um an ice museum and uh, and also um a, a museum on the uh University of Alaska Fairbanks campus. Oh, okay. So did you do that a lot? Did you make some time to really explore the states or was it mostly like- Oh yeah, whenever I could, but it wasn't always possible because um, one, it depended on like which part of the state the tournament happened in. Did it happen in like a nice area or did it happen like kind of just in the middle of nowhere in like a very boring area? Um, and two, uh, did I have uh, the appropriate amount of like time off to take from work? Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um so there Did were they... also some states in which, like, even though I may have, like, stayed an extra day, I didn't end up doing any touristy stuff because I had to, like, work remotely that day uh, okay. before flying home. Gotcha. So you had, you you were still um, having to do your career while doing this other. Yeah, I mean, I had to, like, that. somehow find, find a way to, like, balance <laughs> my career without sacrificing it. And um, I somehow made it uh, manageable. Okay, that's amazing. Did any of these events treat you like the celebrity that you are? Like you're a world renowned chess punk traveling the world for tournaments. How did they treat you? Um, so I did remember that like there were a couple of states that like um gave me a public shout out, um, for sure. Okay. Uh for uh letting the participants know that like I'm their um out of state celebrity. Um, most notably, uh Evelyn from Fairbanks Chess Club definitely um gave a public it uh, gave a public shout out and even asked to take a uh, take a picture with me at that tournament cool okay so um and i remember like also um the organizer of a uh delaware event when i was in delaware gave me a gave me a um free notation book as a little gift for visiting from out of state oh that's cool okay yeah so you weren't getting like free entry to the events and free hotels and stuff, unfortunately. Oh uh, no, but um, I still got uh some nice uh I guess like shoutouts. That's cool. That's for sure. Did you get like a trinket from each event to remember it, or is your memory like the score book, the score sheets, and the games you played? Um, I mean, there's of course like the score books and score sheets of the games I played, but there's also uh there's also touristy pictures that I've taken um uh for the states that I've uh actually done some exploring. All right. And I, I guess... also um am a big foodie addict, so I take a lot of pictures of my food sometimes <laughs> that I've posted on Twitter. Sometimes that I've posted on Twitter, and so uh they've also definitely been um nice uh memory relics. Okay, that's awesome. Um, that's my last question about this adventure is, would you recommend this to others? Like, do you think it's a cool thing for other people to do to try to replicate your journey? Or do you feel like, you know, it's it was really challenging and maybe don't try it? <laughs> um, I would definitely recommend trying it if you have the money and the um, health to do it. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it definitely takes a lot of time, um, lots of money and... Um, uh, also lots of like physical and mental endurance to be able to like pull off and persevere. Yeah. Did you think it would take you seven years when you started? 
Um, I had no expectations about how long I um I wanted to take, nor was I trying to like race any rivals to try to like uh finish the the, the quest before um, but be before them. But um, so I just basically set my own timetable and just kind of like jumped at opportunities whenever um events popped up, especially most uh most uh, uh, most um. Pressingly, whenever there were events popping up in states that I know are just like really hard to find OTB events in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you said some of the states and areas had like almost like really serious rating deflation just because it's such a closed community. Would you want to name any of those? Was one of those North Dakota? Because I feel like Cameron plays one there. One of those was definitely North Dakota. Yes, because okay. um, yeah. I think uh, aside from myself, the highest rated player that I saw at that event was only like fifteen hundred USC. Mm. Yeah, because I know Cameron is really good, and it seems like her OTB rating is much it's lower like because of. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. Okay, yeah, it's one of the interesting phenomena around the world that we're seeing. Right, different areas have different rating pools. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's transition to your chess. I haven't talked to you. It looks like in a year and a half, March 2022 was the last time we chatted. I believe you said you're rated about 1900. Uh, what's been going on? Wait, March 2022? Yeah. What, or what was your rating are you talking March about now or are you talking about March 2022? What was that? Were you talking about now or were you talking about? Um, oh, yeah. I, I said, how about in March 2022 is when I last talked to you? Um, oh yeah. <laughs> was your right. rating about 1900 at that point? Um I think not quite 1900. I think it was probably like in the mid 1800s. Okay. I mean, and... I peaked at um 1939, but um okay. I believe my rating at that time was probably more clo uh, close to like mid mid 1800s, which okay. is also like where I am right now. I might have just rounded up. So what have you been doing then in the last year and a half? How have you been trying to improve your chess? Has it all been just traveling or have you sat down and really done some serious chess work? Um, so like there, so aside from like, um, what I've also, what I've often usually done with like, um, drilling my opening repertoire, for example, most notably with Chessable and like doing, um, a game, uh, doing a weekly game analysis and, um, my tactics training on, um, leashes and chess.com puzzles, uh, and also doing my lessons with my two coaches is each week. Um, there are two new things that, uh, I've been like kind of trying to like also, actually no um three new things that i've also been kind of trying to um add to my uh study routine but it's also been like very hard at times and um so i'm trying to like work on trying to like you know find the motivation to keep it like a regular thing so one of these things is like um playing uh more blitz and um i don't play enough blitz mostly because of a combination of one me not being like a slow a bit being like a fast chess fanatic i've always been like very fascinated by chess because of like the beauty and arts of like just um taking your time at the board to like think deeply and come up with creative ideas and so speed chess has never really been like a um passion or strength of mine um but i do uh, see the inherent value in um adding blitz practice to uh my study routine so that like uh when it comes to getting actual time scrambles in OTB games, which I definitely do get a lot of because I take so much time to think in most of my over the board games, I don't just like crumble because I am terrible at blitz. Mm. Um, the second thing that I'm trying to work on too is uh, 
in, in addition to like, you know, doing calculation and tactics puzzles, I'm also trying to like add evaluation puzzles to my regimen. And um, I'm glad that my coach has recommended to me um, evaluate like a grandmaster by Nate Solon and Eugene Perlstein. And um, it would be very interesting to try to um, do more like evaluation exercises or comparison exercises so that like I can basically get a better foundation for um, strategical concepts and uh, strategical decision-making. Yeah. Uh, and the third thing that I am also trying to um, do more of is um, engine-free game analysis. So I definitely um, analyze my games to a certain extent um, before checking the engine. Um, but I'm trying, to, but my coach is trying to like get me to um, do it like to like kind of move more towards a 100% engine-free uh, analysis zone. Whoa. So okay. that's like even more challenging. <laughs> and um, right now I think he has me on like a goal of trying to um, go for like, I think one or two full months uh, without um, checking an engine at all when it comes to analyzing my games. Of course, like um, chess.com or chessbase or lead chess opening explorers don't count as engines. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I can still look at those if I want to check to see like if an opening line that I went into or if an opponent went into happens to be um, in the master games collections. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. Let's start there. I'll say this. I've been trying to, for my own OTB games, I go over them very thoroughly before I use an engine. But I do. Mm -hmm. cheat, so you, you do use an engine at some point, right? I After do. You go through them on your own. I definitely do, and I've also started cheating. I I'm I just can't resist having the engine give me my A that I earned if I earned mm -hmm. it. And so what yeah. I do is I I put it in a study, and then I take mm -hmm. that PGN and I put it into an engine, and I don't go move by move. I just mm -hmm. look at its overall evaluation and go, all right, ninety two percent. Look how good I am. Um, and I don't actually look at the moves themselves with the engine. I just want the engine to give me my A. Oh, Wait, what do you bad. mean by like, don't look at the moves themselves with an engine? What I mean is I just look at its overall evaluation of like, you played overall. Oh, so like basically, do you not turn on the best move arrows or something like that? I'm not even going through the or... game. I'm just looking at its summary. Oh, so you're just looking at the numbers, right? Yes. Yep. Just okay. that last number that tells me this was your overall grade, which to me is like the saddest thing ever because who cares? <laughs> oh, and I can't resist, Megan. I just wow. can't resist. I'm a human at the end of the day. Okay, yeah. so how's it going? How long have you been engineless? Um, I haven't been well, this is not something that like I've um done already yet, but like I'm uh you know just getting started with. <laughs> okay. So you're you're hoping to become engineless. I feel like I need to check in with you in like two weeks. Well, I'm trying to like well, I'm trying to like you know maintain a streak for like at least like a month or two first. Okay, all right. So you're gonna yeah. give it a try. See how yeah. it goes. What do you yeah. feel like is going to be the value you're going to get of going engineless? Uh, so I think that like uh, this whole going engineless idea would definitely give me more um value in trying to like calculate more when I analyze because then like you know I don't have anything to uh obviously I won't have anything to like eventually resort to or won't like be able to like just give up as easily after like um some time of trying to like think or analyze a position. Um, okay. secondly, it would also encourage me to try to do just, you know, 
more manual analysis and also in addition to doing more in, in manual analysis because you don't have an engine to like help you at all whatsoever not even not even like to the very last step um it would encourage me to like you know spend more time just like thinking and drilling through uh, drilling through and working through a position even if it means like um looking at like so many different lines manually and like just you know playing around with things yeah wow I, I and just ask it's just trying to like be curious and ask yourself what if they do this move or that move mm -hmm. yeah it seems like it would be amazing for your calculation work mm -hmm. but at the end of the day then you don't have the teacher telling you how good you or bad you did megan you don't need a teacher in your life is that what you're saying I'm sorry, what were we saying? Like, I was saying you don't need like the overlord in your life to tell you good job or bad job. You're you can well, I mean, I have my chess coaches, so like, okay, of okay. course, like they uh, with their um very high level of chess knowledge in general, they would still be around to tell me if I did a good job or a bad job in like playing out a game or converting a, a winning or better position. Okay, gotcha. So it's like this engine or um fighting ends. hard in like a struggling or losing position or saving, saving a losing position into a draw. Gotcha. So you're going to combine this engineless experience with like game analysis with your coach after you've done a bunch mm -hmm. of work, they'll go over with you, help you see what you missed, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the, that's the plan. That's the hope. Um, of course, like, you know, the ultimate dream is to like have that uh, be, you know, more or less like hundred percent consistent. Um, I think that like that it, it, it's going to be challenging trying to be like uh 100% consistent, but got to just do it, do the best to get there. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, you talked about working on evaluation skills. Have you started bringing that in your games yet? And and how are you doing it? Like, do you have a running eval as you go through the game? Do you stop at certain positions and try to evaluate? How does it work for you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that like uh, when it comes to doing evaluation um exercises i mean i think that like one of the things that i can really uh get a benefit of is like knowing how to like um better train my intuition so that i also like uh manage my time better during games because then if i know if i develop better strategic intuition then it would definitely help me rule out um stupidly stupidly like don't even freaking consider it candidate moves that may possibly come up Okay. And you know when you lower the amount of like extraneous candidate moves you have, it makes um the thinking time um faster. Interesting. It's interesting you put it like that because I feel like for me, I'm sort of having the opposite problem of ruling oh, out really? candidate hmm. moves that are actually good. So like the, the the in my most recent game, it ended up in a draw, but I had a win where I could have they were doubled on a file, I was doubled on a file. And there was a pawn mm -hmm. in the way and I could move yeah. my pawn to take their pawn. And it looks like, well, no, that won't work because they'll get two rooks for my one rook. But it turns oh, out yeah. that was the best move. So my brain immediately threw it out and was like, no, no, don't even look at that. Don't even calculate that. <laughs> that is a waste of your time, sir. Wow. That's so, crazy. Fascinating stuff for each of us. Yeah. Okay. And uh, are you saying you're enjoying the Evaluate Like a Grandmaster book or have you finished it? Um, I have not finished it. I'm still trying to like, you know, find the time to work through it. Uh, because you know, life's been busy, especially with like playing so much and traveling so much. Yeah, 
but uh, now that I'm done uh, with the 50 states quest, I feel like um, on average, I probably want to travel. I will still travel, but probably won't travel like as aggressively or as much as I used to. So, of course, that'll like give, give me more time and energy, too. Fair enough. Unless you take on a new challenge. Uh, First person yeah. to play a rated game in every country in the world. <laughs> okay. Um when you say you're working on puzzles regularly, do you do you do just like you hit next puzzle and you do the hardest puzzle possible on Lee Chess and chess.com? Are you doing puzzle I rushes? I just do whatever puzzle, um, whatever puzzles get thrown at me on Lee Chess and Chess.com. I don't really um tweak around with the settings, although I wonder if there's any benefits to tweaking around with the settings. Yeah, it's an interesting question I've wrestled with. What I've started doing is right before tournaments. I do mm -hmm. puzzles in like the 1200 to 1600 range on chess.com just to kind of like get my juices flowing rather than. Oh, okay. So it's similar to how people always start out with like super easy puzzles on like chess.com puzzle rush or we chess puzzle storm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just, just to get going for a game. Do you do any calculation work like straight up calculation puzzles? Oh yeah. My, well, um, my coaches definitely have, uh, calculation puzzles that, uh, I have to do when I meet with them. So that definitely, uh, puts in, puts in like my, uh, uh, uh puts in my, um, weekly routine for calculation training. Okay. So that's part of your, your calculation yeah. training. And then mm -hmm. also it sounds like you're going to get a lot of calculation training going over your own games without an engine. Without an engine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, did you play in the chess punks tournament by any chance on chess.com? Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to due to date conflicts. Okay, yeah, I wasn't able to either. How did it go though? I mean, I didn't really like you know get to watch uh, watch it live either just because of um, yeah, I didn't either. I, I know this is gonna sound kind of weird, and I'm looking forward to asking Neil about it, but it felt like an interesting combination of chess punks and people who I'd never heard of. And I don't yeah. know if those people are now going to become chess punks or if they just like came in to a chess punk tournament, won it, and then went home. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see sort of what the evolution of those individuals is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess like, well, first of all, Neil Bruce's posts that mention chess punks obviously get a lot of visibility on Twitter. But of course, like, you know, um, visibility to so many people doesn't mean that like, you know, the, the every single one of those so many people always are actively posting on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, what are you gonna do now? You you finished this massive goal that's taking you around the US. Do you have any other goals? Is your goal just to rest? Like what what are your goals now? Well, so like I would say that like my primary goal right now, uh, if I had to like pick my number one is to hit 2200 USCF. So for the national master title. Okay. Um, and uh I think like uh Aside from that, I also am hoping that I would be able to play in all the Canadian provinces and like also maybe try some overseas tournaments. Okay. But um, I think that like right now, honestly, my uh main goal is to just get over that camel hump in my um in my uh in my OTB progress. Okay. When you say camel, because hump, like I've also been like stuck in the in the class A range. Um as far as like my um, OTB performance and rating goes ever since um, 20, late 2017 or early 2018. And it just feels like, you know, getting a little impatient here. Yeah, I hear you. What? So how do you process that? Do you 
keep doing sort of the same things and grinding harder? Do you think like, I need to overhaul everything. My coaches are great. I need to do like an overhaul on some, on some things. And like, that's also the reason why I listed like some of the uh, things I mentioned earlier, such as like blitz and devaluation exercises and like team note, team note analyzing with an engine sort of thing. Okay. So these are like specific. For like my tur- at least like for, at the very least to start out with for my tournament games, that is. Gotcha. So this is like part of your specific attempt to say, I'm in a bit of a ratings rut. Perhaps this will drive me out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fair. Um, I heard you say earlier something about keeping your motivation going. And I'm curious, is this something that you struggle with? Because when I think of Megan, I think of like most driven chess fanatic that I know. So do do even you at times struggle with motivation? Um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I would, but I think it's more due to like mental fatigue or just feeling overwhelmed at like um the either the number of things I have to do overall or um or feeling like I'm just too burned out because I've like played in too many tournaments. Mm, okay. So it's like so those are life. usually like my main situ my main situations. I would say that I uh have like a motivation struggle which is also another reason why like um there have been t- why um i'm really trying to like eyeball uh noel studer's advice in that uh next level chess article okay yeah noel has some great advice um yeah it's, it's interesting and also another thing too is that like whenever i do feel overwhelmed what that usually translates to sometimes in over the board events is that like when i sit down at the board i feel like i'm lazier than normal with like considering cal- candidate moves or calculating just because like you know that's something that is like a byproduct of like lower focus levels mm-hmm. yeah it's the hard thing right mm-hmm. yeah I've, i don't know i've been struggling with a bit myself lately of like you know the routine i have i'm supposed to go over my um uh steps method every day and I always look at that book and I'm like, really? Steps method? <laughs> I'm really sick. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is so hard. It's like, I know it's good for me, but it's like the medicine, like take your medicine. And I'm like, no, <laughs> right. I hate the taste yeah. of that medicine. <laughs> ah, it can be frustrating. Yeah. Uh, so how much chess time are you able to sort of allocate each day? Uh, each day? Uh, yeah, or, it depends or day to day. But like um, per week, I know I definitely do... Um, at least like three three hours of uh, lessons with my two coaches. Okay. And um, each day, I definitely try to um, just do uh, whenever I mentally and like uh, schedule wise can um, do my usual routine of like doing a couple uh, doing tactic uh, doing some tactics or like puzzle storms or puzzle rushes, uh, and also of course like my daily chess will streak. Which I'm currently at 46, uh, 46 right now. It used to be like in the 60s, but there have been a couple times in the past in which like I've broken the streak because I've been to OCB tournaments and wasn't paying attention to um what I what space repetition I was due for on Chessable. So okay. I've broken my streak unfortunately a few times. And when you do Chessable, are you mostly doing openings or do you do other stuff on there? Mostly openings, I would say, because like I think that like uh, it's definitely um something that you know uh. It, it becomes easier to remember when you um basically practice with the space repetition idea. Okay. I'm on a 37 day streak myself. It's mostly the woodpecker method, but I don't do the woodpecker oh, yeah. method. I just do like five a day. 
So oh, interesting. This is the very opposite of the woodpecker method, but oh well. All right, this is the last question for today. Why two coaches? What? Why not just have one coach? What do you feel like is the benefit that you get from having two coaches? Um. So one core thing I would say is um different perspectives on like um how to study and like what areas to uh focus on. And two, I think that like one one main uh, main reason that I ended up having two coaches is because um the second coach, which uh, who was uh Nazi Paikidze, um she uh came to me thanks to um a friend of mine who used to take lessons with her back then, referring me to her, and so that's how um we got connected. But I didn't want her to be a replacement for um my first coach Ryan because he and I already had been having a very good very positive working relationship and. Uh, have like absolutely zero reason to um disband gotcha and do they ever disagree with each other they're like one is like you should play d4 and the other one's like no you should play e4 um i mean i guess the um last time that i remember like a very visible disagreement was when um they were um deciding on like which uh very uh, which very uh, which opening variation that i should do but nothing nothing has like start as starkly um sharp as like d4 versus e4 because like that's like you know very 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 different uh, different of like a the of a contrast as opposed to like say for example um Kirikon advanced variation versus Kirikon classical variation or sicilian dragon versus sicilian uh Sveshnikov. gotcha Just name, okay. name, name some examples so you feel like your coaches more complement each other than come into contrast with each I'd other i'd say compliments yeah mm-hmm. okay. that's cool uh, and less so of like conflicting okay well, Megan, I must say, I'm very impressed. You did it. You hit all 50 states. You did what seems like an exhausting, impossible journey. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Very, um, very pleased to have been able to make it this far. All right. Any final takeaways you want to give the audience about your journey that they should know? like uh personally think of at the moment but uh there are uh some works in the progress right now for me in writing a couple of like articles uh to be published so definitely um something to uh for people to keep an eye out for all right i'm guessing we're looking at like maybe chess life chess.com i don't maybe you can't talk about them yet i'm just i'm just speculating for our audience yeah those are like some possible sources okay excellent well For all of you out there who want to read up on Megan's journey, it sounds like you're going to have ample opportunity to do that. And Megan, where can people get a hold of you? Where are you on uh, Twitter? Uh, Most actively on Twitter. Yes, that's for sure. Um, My username on there is uh, gauss1181. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, Megan, for coming on and sharing your journey. What a cool experience it is. I hope to hit at least 10 states to play chess in before I die. That's my goal. (laughs) Less Well, how many do you have right now? Including California. I don't actually and know. I, I haven't added it up. Uh, several. I, I was in Philadelphia. I was <laughs> in California. I played an event in Illinois a long time ago. That's at least three, Megan. That's pretty good. I'm on my way. Oh, okay. Well, that's decent um, considering that you have a family. So I figure California is a big state too. And I've played in different parts of the state. That's got to count for something. Oh, of course. Okay. All right. Great. Okay, so for all of you out there, I hope this is that week where you experience immense rating gain and and everything's great. And if not, come back next week. We'll have another guest for you to share their experiences. 
I doubt they'll have hit all 50 states, but maybe they'll have hit 10. That'd be pretty good. All right. I'll see you later, everybody. Have a good one.